you would turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 as we begin. Colossians 2, 6 through 10. Paul writes this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that whatever word you want to speak to us today, Lord, that we would hear it. Lord, wherever each one of us is in our life, whatever frustrations, disappointments, hurts, concerns, and fears that we have about the world around us, about our country, about places like like Afghanistan, our awareness of places in our world that we don't even know about, but we are aware that there is hurt there. Lord, all of these things, we are so limited to know what to do or how to understand them. And so, Lord, we, we trust that you are the head over every power and authority. And so, Lord, we, we trust you. And Lord, teach us to trust you as we listen to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week I I shared this analogy that I had heard in a sermon, I believe it was a sermon from Tony Evans, who spoke about the fact that as Christians we are uh, no longer enjoying home field advantage in our culture, that we are now the visiting team. Um, that those around us um, generally in our culture are, are opposed to the Christian message, to Christian values, to Christian principles. And, and my point in that sermon last week was not to say whether that was a good thing or a bad thing or to even talk about why all of that has happened, but to simply help us to see that it's true, to admit that that's true, so that we can live faithfully to Jesus right now in this particular cultural moment. It was really a call to, to keep our eyes on the goal, to abide in Jesus, to remain rooted and established in him, to remain faithful to him always. The main verse that we are going to look at today is Colossians 2.8. It says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tr- tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. This is an important warning for us today. As we find ourselves more and more as a group of people on on the visiting team, as uh, the writers of Scripture say that we are aliens and sojourners in this world, we begin to feel that reality more and more. We need to know how to respond to the different ideas and philosophies and ideologies that we face every single day. And we face them every day, don't we? Every day. And we have access to so much information 
and to so many ideas and are aware of so many different religions and ideologies and philosophies that are out there that it's hard for us to stand firm when daily we are being bombarded with all of these different ideas. And no doubt every Christian generation has had to face and confront false ideas, that they've had to, to, to learn to stand firm in Christ in the face of those false ideas. But I want to suggest to you that our, our access to the world and our access to information, our awareness of so much that is out there, makes this even particularly more dangerous for us and something that we need to be aware of. Are you with me? Okay. So we talked last week about the importance of being rooted in Christ, and I suggested three important ways to do that. These are not the only ways, but three important ways for us to remain rooted in Christ. And first is to commit ourselves to uncomplicated obedience to Jesus. And sometimes we make obedience to Jesus really complicated, and we kind of bring in all these different ideas. And I think if we just listen to what Jesus has to say and to commit ourselves daily to obey the words that he says, Jesus says we are then people who build our house on the rock and people who are building our life on a sure and solid foundation. So commit ourselves to uncomplicated obedience to Jesus, that it's important for you to find your way with Scripture and with prayer, not Pastor Ryan's way, not Pastor Simpson's way, not anybody else's way, but your own way with Scripture and prayer, a way for Scripture and prayer to, to be life for you and for your heart and for your soul. And then also to remain connected to God's people, to stay connected to God's people. As I was thinking about the sermon this week, I, I realized that what would really be good to begin with today, and as we are in a few moments going to talk about how to respond to false ideologies and philosophies that we face, is to really remind us today of who Jesus is. Who is this one that we are rooted in? The book of Colossians is, is a book that speaks very highly of who Jesus is, speaks in language that's really a mystery and beyond our ability to comprehend. But what the scriptures teach us, both Colossians and the rest of the Bible, is that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. Fully human and fully divine. When we read the gospel stories, we read that Jesus was born. Jesus was born. He lived in the world. He, when he was 12, he went to a festival in Jerusalem with his parents and his family and his friends, and he goes to weddings and to funerals. And the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus, the divine Son of God, that he grew up. That he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. I haven't watched uh, the television show The Chosen yet. Have any of you been watching that? Haven't watched it yet, but I've caught about a half a dozen short clips online, and just about every one of them makes me cry. The show seems to, from the little that I've seen, seems to do a wonderful job of portraying the humanity of Jesus, just how human he was. There was one scene where I saw where Jesus was talking with his cousin, John the Baptist, and Jesus tells his cousin, I've been working on something. I've been working on a sermon that I want to teach my disciples. He was referring to the Sermon on the Mount, his longest and most detailed teaching about how to practically obey him day to day. 
And that idea in that moment, as I watched that scene, that the Sermon on the Mount was something that Jesus prepared, something that he worked on, something that he prepared to deliver, something that he gave his attention to maybe in those nights when he was out praying with his father. As someone who spends hours every week preparing sermons, that was something deeply meaningful to me. That Jesus would give his time and attention to this sermon that he knew would be important and that would impact generations of people. I don't know if that's actually how it happened, but the fact that he was human suggests to me that it probably was true. That it was something that he grew up into. He grew up into the wisdom that he then passes on in the Sermon on the Mount. As a follower of Jesus, you are rooted in a human person. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary. This young boy who is cared for and protected as a child by a man named Joseph. A man who grew up and who experienced all of the frustrations and disappointments of human life. He shared all of those things with us. Was fully human in every way except without any sin. Jesus was fully human and because of that we can know him. He was fully human like us, and because of that, we can know him. The scriptures are also very clear that when we think about who Jesus is, we also have to acknowledge his full divinity, that he was God in the flesh. In the scripture that we are looking at today, Paul tells us that all the fullness of the deity lived in him in bodily form. Do you understand those words? I don't. Paul tells us that it's true, that all the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus in bodily form. And really, the whole letter of Colossians really focuses on this majestic and glorious divinity of Jesus. A Jesus that is beyond our imagining. Let me just read a few verses to you from the first chapter of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, there's this beautiful hymn in verses 15 through 20 that describes the deity, the, the high and lofty character and nature of Jesus. It says this, Colossians 1, 15 he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The language about Jesus here is so high and lofty that we can't reach it. We can't fully understand all of what Paul is saying here about the truth of who Jesus is. But what Paul is saying here when he says to us that he is the image of the invisible God, what he wants us to know is that what God is like, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know how he, how he acts, how he loves, what it is that makes him angry, you can look at Jesus. In Christ, all of the fullness of God lives in bodily form. 
That idea is so radical and unique in all religions and philosophies that in Christ there is someone, a person, who brought together humanity and divinity and that they were perfectly joined together as one. There is nothing like it in any other philosophy or religion on earth that claims such a thing. And so when we see Jesus, we know that there was nothing that Jesus did that was outside of the character of God our Creator. We can say that Jesus is like God, and it's also true to say the reverse, that God is like Jesus. And when we look at the gospel stories, the character and power and heart of God is revealed to us in the life of Jesus. We learn in those stories that the one who was on the boat who could simply say to the storm, be still, that holds that kind of power and authority that the storms heed his voice is the same one who turns around and sees a poor woman who had been struggling with bleeding for 18 years and kneels down and has compassion on her. We learn that the one who rebukes the religious leaders of his day, who, who teaches with power and with authority, is the same one who gets down on his knees and washes his disciples' feet. In the gospel stories, we read about someone who does things that only God can do and who also does things that you and I can do. Who showed us how to live a human life that perfectly honors and glorifies God. He is the image of the invisible God. Paul also tells us that he is the creator. He is the one who made all things, the moon and the stars. He made lions and dandelions. He made your eyes. He made your hands. He made the neurons in your brain that you cannot see. He made it all. And he continues to make it. And he continues to govern the universe. His power and authority is the source that holds our world and all the worlds together. It is by his power that the sun rises and sets it is by his word that the command, command that the planets go around the sun. It is by his word that commands the flowers to come up in the spring. Your heart beats, your lungs draw breath at his command. In Revelation, he's called the Alpha and the Omega of all things, the beginning and the end. And what Paul says here in Colossians 1 is that he's also the middle too. He's the one who holds all things together. The Alpha and the Omega, and he's the middle too. He's the one who holds all things together. And his rule, his governing, extends beyond nature into human institutions, the church and the nations. He is Lord. He is King. He is the one who rules over all things. The early Christians claimed, without reservation, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is King. And the early Christians were sent to the lions because of this claim that he was king and that he was Lord. They didn't go to the lions because they said he's the personal savior of my heart, though he was that too. They went to the lions because they said he is Lord. He is king. He is Lord and king over my heart. He is Lord and king over Caesar's heart. He is Lord and king over every president and prime minister and mayor and pastor and teacher. He is Lord. He is the fullness of God in a body. He is the creator and the Lord. 
Later in Colossians, in chapter 2, Paul says this beautiful thing. He says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is not only a teacher of what is good. He is the source of all good. Jesus not only passes on wisdom to us, he is wisdom. He does not only teach us how to be loving people, he is love. He does not only teach us true things about the world, he is the truth. He does not only show us how to live, the way to live, he is the way. This is who Jesus is. This is who we are called to root our lives in. So today, I'm going to be talking about philosophies and ideologies and how we respond to those in our world. But I just want to say to you that whatever struggle you're going through today, whatever hurt or pain or difficulty or strained relationship or whatever that might be, to root yourself in this one who was fully human and fully divine and who loves you. And he wants to move into your life and bring healing in that area. He loves you. Root your life in him. This is the one that you are rooted in. So I've spent a few minutes there saying some really high and lofty things about Jesus. And if you don't understand a whole lot of what I said, that's okay because I don't understand it either. (laughs) There's so much there. It is, so much of it is, is a mystery. He can never, ever be fully fathomed or understood. But the wonderful thing about following Jesus and rooting our life in Jesus is that our whole lives get to be about growing into and learning these mysteries. And as we grow and learn about him, we learn that there is no other source of goodness and truth and beauty. There is no one who can bring us true joy. There is no one who can teach us how to love our neighbor as ourselves other than him. And because he was fully human, we have access to him. We can know him. And because he is fully God, there is no way that we can ever fully know him. And so we get to spend our whole eternal life getting to grow up in the knowledge of him. If you are a follower of Jesus, then this is who you are rooted in. And so when we face in our world hollow and deceptive philosophies in this life, and we can and we do and we will face them, we have someone that we can turn to to learn from, to discern what is true and what is not. So I want to talk today about faithfulness always. What can we learn from the scriptures about being faithful always, even in a life, in in a world, in a cultural moment where many of the ideas and philosophies that we encounter are, are not rooted in Christ? Faithfulness to Jesus is always perilous. And no matter what culture you live in, it's always perilous, it's always in danger. We saw this earlier this year when we were learning about the seven churches in Revelation and the the letters that uh, Jesus wrote to them. All of those seven churches were in very different contexts, different cultural realities. And no matter which cultural reality that they were in, faithfulness to Jesus was in danger. 
And some of them were very rich and wealthy. They were Christians who had influence in their city. And Jesus had strong words of warning to them about their wealth and their privilege and their influence, making them lukewarm towards Christ. And then there were other letters that were written to churches that were facing persecution. Some of their leaders were even put to death. And so Jesus warns them about the danger of falling away because of persecution. Churches in opposite circumstances, opposite cultural moments where they were, both of them in danger of falling away for very different reasons. But what is also possible in those circumstances is that Jesus offers them a way to be faithful. It's possible to follow Jesus in whatever place that we are in, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, whether we are rich or poor, influential or persecuted, there is a way forward to follow Jesus faithfully. So here we are in our present cultural moment. And as I said last week, I think it's true that we are now the visiting team. We no longer have home field advantage. How are we going to be faithful to Jesus? One of the dangers that we have, as I've already mentioned, as we are living in the minority or on the visiting team, is that we're always coming face-to-face with different ideas and philosophies that are human ideas and not uh, founded in Christ. And Paul calls them, in verse 8, hollow and deceptive philosophies. The church that Paul was writing to in the city of Colossae was the visiting team in their city. They were probably just a small group of of a dozen or maybe at the most a couple hundred people in a city of hundreds of thousands of people. And here they are being called to be faithful to Jesus. And they were facing in their own circumstance teachings that were um, either opposed to the gospel outright or manipulations of the gospel. And Paul is writing to them to help them to hold on to the truth. And every day in our own circumstance, we are faced with hollow and deceptive philosophies. And not only are we faced with the facts of them, the the ideas themselves, but I think this is important for us to understand. That we are lived in a world that is formed by, shaped by, ideas that are opposed to Christ. The cultural and political structures and economic systems that we live in, they are not the kingdom of God. We do not yet live in the reality of the kingdom of God. And because of that, whatever system we're in is a mixture of some truth and a mixture of error. Every philosophy, every ideology, every political system is a human attempt to give an answer to the questions of how to live as a human being on the earth. Every ism, every theory, is a human attempt to answer important questions and to address important problems. It's an attempt. Every government system that exists is a human experiment. It's our best stab at getting this thing right. Democracy is a human idea. A human experiment. And in my opinion, it's the best we've come up with for how to rightly govern ourselves in this world. I'm not sure who said it, but democracy is the worst form of government, except for all of the others. (laughs) The same can be said of capitalism. It is the worst economic system. It produces all sorts of problems and injustices. It's the worst. 
except for all of the others that cause even more problems. Democracy, capitalism, socialism, Marxism, communism, totalitarianism, totalitarianism, political theories and philosophies, critical race theory, Christian nationalism, Jungian psychology, Freudian psychology, these are all human attempts at answers to the pressing problems that we face as human beings. And all of them, in one way or another, are hollow. That doesn't mean that they're all equal. Some of them are much, much worse than others. Some of them, at the end of the day, are... But all of them, at the end of the day, are hollow, even if they do answer some questions in some truthful ways. And we live in a complex world that... So much so that we're not only faced with the reality of these every single day, but our... Our world has been shaped by them. And our daily life is based on human ideas that have taken form in government and institutions that we interact with every single day. And we know, painfully so, how much our governments and our institutions fall short of the kingdom of God that we are waiting for, right? So we have to be careful not to be taken captive by the hollow and empty philosophies around us. And I want to talk about at least two different ways that you and I might be taken captive by the different philosophies of the world around us. The first one, of course, is the most obvious, by believing them and following them, building our life on them. Okay, that's the most obvious. We need to be careful not to build our lives and to make our decisions and to navigate our relationships based on worldly ideas and philosophies. This was the best example that I could come up with, and I'm sorry because I just think it's the one that most of us face on a regular basis and come to, and come to grips with. But right now, there's this idea out there that the only thing that really deserves our attention is politics. Right? The only thing that really gets things done in the world, the only place where justice is done, is through elections and political governing. And that idea expresses itself in different ways on the political left and on the political right. Now, as Christians, there's not a single person in this room that would say that we believe that that is true. That politics is really the only thing that matters. But I just want to ask you, I bet you have a relationship in your life, or at least know of relationships in your life who have been, that have been ruined or strained or broken because of politics in the last two years. Yeah? Maybe not, maybe not in your life, but at least know of. Let me just ask that question. Do you know of any relationships of your life that have been ruined because of politics? Just raise your hand. It's a lot. A lot of you. And the church right now in America is currently being divided right along American political fault lines. That's idolatry. This is a way that we've been taken captive by this hollow and deceptive idea that politics is the only thing that matters. Christians are being discipled more by their favorite talk show hosts than they are by Jesus. It's just true. When it comes to your engagement with ideas that are not based in Scripture, whether they're some philosophy or politics, it's very important for you 
to be aware of the idols that you are most prone to follow. Let me say that again. In your engagement with ideas that are not based in Scripture, it's very important that you be aware of the idols that you are prone to follow. Every single one of us has philosophies and ideologies and political programs and political platforms that we think are better than others. And that's fine. We have to make those judgments if we're going to live in this world. Because there are some that are better than others. There are some that line up more with biblical principles and ideals than others. And so let me just make this really plain here. If you are a Republican or a Democrat, great. But neither of those party platforms line up with the kingdom of God. And so it's important for you to be able to identify where that is especially true for whatever you identify as. Let me say that better. If you're a, a Republican, you need to know the, party, the parts of that party platform that do not submit to Jesus and that are not aligned with Jesus and vice versa. You need to be aware of that. And when it's pointed out to you, your first response shouldn't be, well, just look at how bad the other guys are. <laughs> the danger for you, the danger for you not being taken captive is not the other guy's problems, not the other guy's specks in their eye and logs in their eye. If you are a Republican, you are probably not going to wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden discover that you subscribe to critical race theory. That's probably not going to happen to you. If you are a Democrat, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden surprisingly find yourself as a Christian nationalist. That's probably not going to happen to you. That's not a danger for you. And there are dangerous extremes in the polarization of our country that each of the parties are appealing to. And that, draw, that may draw you and be of interest to you. And you need to know what those are and identify when they are opposed to Christ. Because we are very good at identifying other people's idols, other people's problems, but we're not always very good at identifying our own. We are good at removing the logs and the specks from other people's eyes, but we miss our own. The focus here in Paul's instructions, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. The focus is on your heart and your faithfulness to Jesus. And so in order to be faithful to Jesus, you have to know enough about yourself, about what you might be prone to, what idol you might be prone to that is not founded on Christ. The second way that we can become captive to hollow and deceptive philosophies is by living in fear of them. By living in fear of them. There are so many ideas that we are bombarded with every single day that it's difficult for us to stay rooted and to keep our feet secure. Many ideas that we are, are aware of, that we come into contact with, that are destructive to people and to society. And so it's easy for us to respond in fear and to lash out. And I've been thinking this week about how we are to respond when we come into contact with ideas that we know are false. How, as Christians, can we interact with and respond to ideas and philosophies that we know um, are false. And this is, this is my suggestion. I kind of worked this out this week. This isn't, 
come with any kind of deep research or anything like that. These are just some pastoral reflections about how we can respond to ideas and philosophies that we know are false. On the top of this line, I'm going to offer to you ways that are God-honoring, Christ-centered ways to respond to these ideas. And on the bottom are ways that we do that in ways that reflect that we are held captive to these philosophies, even if we don't agree with them, but are responding in fear. So let's say that you hear about an idea, and let's just name this one because it's so hot right now. Let's hear that you've heard about this thing called critical race theory. I'm not going to talk about that today, the, the details of that. Let's just, you've heard about it, right? Okay, you've all heard about it. Okay, so you've heard about it. You've heard from some people you trusted that it's, it's not a good thing, that it's, um, that, that it's evil, that it's Marxist, that it's progressive. Whatever, whatever you've heard, you know that it's bad. Okay, in your mind, you've decided that it's bad. What can you do to respond to that in a Christ-honoring way? I think you can pray. <laughs> and that's the first thing that you can do, is to simply pray in a Christ-honoring way. And what we're going to do as we walk down this line is from less engaged to more engaged as we walk along the line. But I think that often what we do, instead of praying... Instead of praying, we hear about an idea that we don't agree with, we're scared of, we know that it's bad, we know that it could have terrible implications in our culture. Instead of praying, we, we demonize the other side. We demonize the people that hold that view. And Paul tells us and reminds us that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities of this dark world. And so, if there are ideas out there that you hear about, that you are concerned about, that they are opposed to the gospel. The first step you can do, if you know nothing about it, is simply to pray and to keep yourself from demonizing those people that believe that thing. Let's say, though, that you realize that this issue or some other issue is important for you enough to learn some things about. What's the next step that we need to take as Christ followers? What's the next step that we need to take? I want to say, suggest that it's this, that we seek to understand. That what's important for us to be able to do is to articulate the idea in a way that a person supports that idea would understand and agree with. Let me say that again. To be able to understand the idea and to articulate it in such a way that a person who believes that idea would agree with your description of that thing. Because what we usually do, our first step in understanding and growing in knowledge of a thing that we're afraid of, what we usually do is seek the arguments that are the worst, the ways that we can win an argument. We try to figure out how we can find the worst possible examples of people who hold this argument, and we offer those things up as Represented the, the full representation of that idea. Does that make sense to you? And so usually the first step that we take in coming to understand an idea is we actually... We move in this other way that... We would never want somebody to do that to us. Let me think, use this as an example. Let's imagine that you're having a conversation about who you voted for in the last election. If you voted for Donald Trump, would you want the other person to say, well, you must hate immigrants? Or if you voted for Joe Biden, that you would want somebody to say, 
you must want to kill babies. But that's what we do, right? That was a little bit extreme, perhaps, but I think that's where we go. We find the worst possible examples, the worst possible way to articulate that idea or that position, and we, we think we've understood it because we can then articulate it in those ways. And I think our first step as Christ followers is to follow the golden rule and to do what we want others to do to us and to seek to understand us and to be able to articulate our positions and our decisions in a way that seems truly representative of who we are and what we believe. There may be others who want to really understand it even more and want to enter into dialogue and to persuasion. And these are people who are diving deep into a particular topic so that they can dialogue and persuade others about the danger of that thing or to persuade others for the sake of the gospel. And I think that usually, often what we do instead is we participate in monologue and coercion rather than dialogue and persuasion. All right. Does any of this make sense to you? Okay. I think there's a different way as Christians that we need to respond to people that we disagree with, especially if we are finding ourselves on the visiting team. Especially if we are finding ourselves as people who no longer have home field advantage. We need to be more and more ready to engage philosophies that we disagree with in a way that loves God and also loves our neighbor. Okay. What I also want to say to you is that you don't need to go down the line on every single issue that you encounter. (laughs) That is impossible. There are so many things coming at us every single day. It is impossible for us to walk down this line and to actually understand and to actually be able to persuade and dialogue with people on every single thing that's coming our way. It's impossible to do. So I just want to say to you today to not carry that burden around with you. To be, to be free from the pressure that some of us feel to always be on top of the latest idea or trend. You don't have to do that as a follower of Jesus. You don't have to move down this road. If you just hear about something that you're concerned about, if you just pray, that will be enough. That will be enough. On the flip side of that, Some of your brothers and sisters are going to dive into topics, into issues that you may not understand, that may not be of interest to you, or that you don't think is even a problem. And that's okay. What is really hurting me about the church right now is that when believers, motivated by their commitment to Jesus, seek to understand an issue and to act in a gospel-centered way, the harshest criticisms are often coming from within the church. I was talking with a solid Christian brother this week who has been called very directly, has been given influence in our city to respond to racial issues in our city. He's been doing this work for a number of years, and he is being welcomed by non-believers, and he is unashamed in his Christian perspective that he brings to the task. But in the last year, he has had a growing resistance and has been attacked by Christians calling him all sorts of pejoratives and names that simply are not true about him, simply because he is dealing with this particular issue. 
We have brothers and sisters in the pro-life movement who are seeking to do good work legislatively around the issue of abortion, who are criticized by other Christians for not being caring for women who are hurting. Brothers and sisters, we are all part of the body of Christ, and each of us are called to different places and to address different concerns that God has placed on our hearts from a gospel-oriented perspective. Some people are called to directly care for immigrants and widows. That doesn't mean that they've bowed to some sort of radical socialist no-borders agenda. Some are called to be a Christian voice in the area of racial reconciliation. That does not mean that they've bowed to woke ideology. Some are called to be a voice in the arena of caring for creation. That doesn't mean that they're an environmentalist wacko. There are some who are called to fight for the rights of the unborn. That doesn't mean that they hate women. In all of those areas and so many more, God is calling people to take the journey down this road of prayer and then understanding and then dialoguing and persuading from a gospel-oriented perspective. In our brothers and sisters who are walking down this road of understanding and engaging culture do not need their brothers and sisters throwing stones at them. The work is hard enough and the suffering will be deep and will require sacrifice from the world. And if, if, you're, if you're not going to do that work in those areas, that's, that's really fine. You can, you can simply pray for those people. You can ask questions of your brothers and sisters who are diving into these different areas that you may not understand or giving their energy and attention to. And there may be dangers there, but you should pray for them. Pray for them. They will continue to remain faithful to the gospel as they pursue these different cultural issues that are facing all of us. All right, that was all a little bit heavy. So here's what I want to finish with today. What is really needed? What is really needed? This is what Paul says. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. Hold on to the truth you were taught. Allow scripture to be your foundation and your measure. I've heard recently that when people are trained to identify counterfeit money, that they don't study counterfeit money, right? They study the real thing. They study what real money looks like so that they can identify a counterfeit when they see it. The scripture is the only source, is the only source that we have that can be fully trusted to teach us true things about God and about ourselves and about our world. And so we can build our lives on the foundation that it teaches. And we can then measure every other human idea or plan based on what the scriptures say to us about God and ourselves and about our world. We can measure those things. We can test them. And there are some human philosophies and ideas that have some things that we can learn from as long as they are not contrary to what Scripture says about God and about ourselves and about our world. And secondly, we need to let our lives overflow with thankfulness. Continue strengthened in the faith as you are taught and overflowing with thankfulness, Paul says. Last night... Uh, it was about 8.30 or 9 o'clock, and I, I walked downstairs, and 
uh, Abraham, <laughs> he was, um, he has these earphones that he listens to books before he goes to sleep, and he had them on his head, and he's kneeling down in our, in our living room, like looking for another book to listen to, and he was just there like in his Batman underwear with these headphones on, <laughs> digging through these books. And I just sat back and I just watched him for a minute. This precious little boy that God has given me. Tears came to my eyes just looking at this. This little boy. This morning as I was going over this section about the loftiness of Jesus. About how he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The one who holds all things together. I was sitting on our front porch. And just as I was doing that, the, the sun was coming up and there was just this beautiful red sunrise. There was a bird singing and the crickets were still doing their thing. And there was this deep sense that I had that all of these other things that I feel like God wanted me to talk about today... They just felt so small because he's so big. Let your life overflow with thanksgiving. When you encounter him in these ways, there are so many things that are distracting us from seeing him. All these ideas and the ways that we see them just flooded at us, bombarded at us through media and through television, through social media. They can distract us from seeing the good things that God has given to us right in front of us. A little boy in his Batman underwear. A sunrise. A bird singing. We are told here, and I don't know what this means either. Verse 10. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ. You have been given fullness in Christ. Everything that is needed for you to know God, everything that is needed for you to know about who you are as a human being, everything that is needed for you to know about this world, crazy upside-down world that we live in, all of it has been given to you. You have been given fullness in Christ. So may your life overflow with thanksgiving. Lord, we ask that you would help us to teach us to be faithful always in whatever circumstance we're in. Lord, it is hard right now. It is hard right now to see the different ways that ideas are taking root all around us that we are concerned about, scared about, fearful of. Lord, I pray that you would help us to respond to those in a Christ-like way. That we would be different than the people around us who seek to belittle and demonize and misconstrue. Lord, I pray that we would be people of the truth, people of knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And so that we can then be a people who rightly persuade in dialogue with those who we disagree with. Lord, help us to do that. And God, I pray that it would all start from this knowledge that we are rooted in the one who made all things, 
who knows all things, who, who has redeemed us through the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Lord, I pray that our lives would be, be rooted and built on him. In Jesus' name, amen.